Welcome to Residential Tech Talks. I'm Jeremy Glowacki, and today I'm joined by Z-Wave Alliance Executive Director and 2019 CEDIA Lifetime Achievement Award winner, Mitchell Klein. Hey, Mitch, thanks for joining us today. How about those Tampa Bay Buccaneers? Yeah, first of all, okay, first things first, it's great to be with you, and second of all, I guess I now have two teams to follow, right? My buddy does with Tampa Bay, right? That's right, yeah. So um, for those of you, most of you know Mitchell, but if you don't, big Boston sports fan. Uh, I lived in New York for a long time, and so we... uh, we, we have a lot to talk about, and you've, you've had a good run here for a while, and just about every major sport. It's true, and you know, if it wasn't for COVID-19, the Bruins might have come home with a trophy too. Yeah. So, eh, what are you going to do, right? So, not, not to, to dwell on the, the, the trivial too much in, in, in these, you know, unprecedented times, as we always hmm. say, um, but how are you coping with no sports? Are you just uh, waiting for that July uh, baseball to resume at this point? Uh, well, right now, instead, we're just binge-watching some programs. You know, um, I have to say, it's my wife and I just finished watching the third year. So we saw, we binge-watched all three years of Ozark. Yeah. Uh, if you haven't seen it, it definitely will grab you. It's, it's pretty intense. Uh, a little dark, but pretty yeah. intense. Yeah, I'm I'm midway through season two, and I have to kind of give it a little breather every now and then, just be, just because right. it's, it's so intense and stressful to me. And I've got so many shows that feel like they're they're like that, that darker kind mm-hmm. of context. And I, I need to find something like a, a Seinfeld. I've, I've seen all the comedians in cars and co- getting coffee, but I just yep. will have to watch one of those just to kind of cleanse the palate before I go to bed, or you know, read some kind of light fiction or something before I go to bed. Yeah, we're, we're the same way. We can't watch more than two episodes in a row. Right? It's crazy. So what, I mean, so you, uh, are you, that, that, that's your, mo- your main, uh, outlet these days. Are you, uh, getting out much to get some fresh air and exercise? Yeah, fortunately up here in New England, you know, we had a pretty warm April. So in April I was really able to get out on my bike, do a fair amount of biking yeah. around town. And since there were fewer cars, it actually was a lot more fun. Uh, oddly enough, it snowed last weekend, but again, that's the beauty of being in, in New England. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, you know, all kinds of stretching. My wife does the uh, does some online uh, exercises with a group. So, you know what? We make do. We totally make do. Yeah, that's been the hard part for me. I've always been yeah. a gym guy. I, I just like yep. the environment of going somewhere that is my workout area. I, I do walks with the dog in the morning and everything, but it's been hard yep. not just having that set aside space for, for exercise. And Totally and, agree. I mean, I've been working out with a trainer and, you know, he's reached out a few times, but uh, yeah, I absolutely agree. I can't wait for the gyms to open. Although I'll tell you, I'm not going to dive right in. I'm yeah. going to be one of those guys that's going to wait this out a little bit and see how it goes. Oh, absolutely. The place where I go, they've announced what they're going to, their opening policy is, and it's so complicated and I don't blame them one bit. I mean, it's just, they're doing what they have to do, but it doesn't sound like something I want to, the hoops I want to jump through, you know, basically almost having a guided tour of the gym where they wipe it down after you're done every time, you know, it's like, it's like a one-to-one ratio of staff to to person in there. And uh, it's just a little awkward. Could you say maybe? Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. the part that I like yeah. is just the 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 invisibility of it, you know, just going in there and just doing my thing and kind of zip, zoning out, right? Um, yep. Well, well, so 
let's talk about uh, industry stuff a little bit. You know, get get to get to the the point of where where we are and and how uh, you know mm-hmm. we're all coping on that side of things. So, um, as executive director at Z Wave, um, you're you're inter- interacting a lot, I would imagine, with members of the alliance and and trying to develop the the um, the products that are in the, yep. the yep. alliance flag. Can you talk a little bit about you know your typical um, role, you know, when it's not a, a right. lockdown and how things have changed lately for you. Right. Well, typically, uh, I'm on the road quite a bit. Uh, it's actually been kind of a little odd, a little strange. This is the longest stretch of time that I've not traveled probably in 20 years. It's amazing. <laughs> you know, um, I've kind of lost all sense of time. I don't know what day it is anymore. Uh, this seems to be pretty typical, uh, uh, reality behind many people. Yeah. In terms of the alliance itself, we've made a really uh, effective switchover from travel and in-person meetings and in-person conversations and trade shows and and uh, other types of uh, events. And we've done pretty well with the Zoom, as you know. Zoom is popular. Yeah. Uh, I'll get back to that in a second, but. So we've had some meetings that way. We're actually creating a, a series of webinars, which we're calling, uh, not uniquely, uh, Webinar Wednesdays. Okay. And we've reached out to our members and we've said, okay, you know, how many of you would like to do a presentation? Generally, keep it short, 20 to 30 minutes tops and a little Q&A. So it's really easy, little bites that people can take. Because after all, everyone watching this is dealing with the exact same thing. Yeah, getting Zoom f- fatigue. So, <laughs> uh, you know, so we're trying to switch over to really kind of short bites where you can just kind of check in and then move on to the next thing. Uh, as far as the Zoom, so, you know, I work for Silicon Labs and Silicon Labs owns Z-Wave and owns the Z-Wave Alliance. And we made the decision back in December to switch over to Zoom from another platform we were using that was having some challenges. Okay. and Obviously, it was a really good transition. We've got over 1,500 employees and offices in just about all over the world. And we can actually have these Zoom meetings with 10 people on it from from China, from Copenhagen, from even New Jersey. You know, we can all be on, on these at the same time, and it works. So anyway, so that's kind of been an interesting change for all of us who are really dying to have a little bit of, you know, personal communication, personal touch kind of thing. So what, during normal times, when you would do all that traveling, obviously, mm-hmm. obviously I would see you at industry events, um, you know, right. trade shows and that sort of thing, but um, a lot of in-person meetings with different vendors or what, what would your typical um, travel require? Or why were you out there so much? Were you doing? There, you know, there is an industry event probably just about every other day. And this this is like as of last year, not as of today. Right. Uh, industry events, you name it, they have them all the time. And so we had to be very careful about the events we chose. So we do some things we call trade shows where we would either exhibit or attend. And then there are industry events, seminars, things like that, which are generally typically much smaller I think many of, uh, I think you're familiar with like the parks, connections, events, sure, things like that, that may even be a little smaller than that, where we can then have conversations directly with influencers within their own company, within their own divisions. And so we had focused pretty heavily on the U.S., North America, 
and uh, just about starting to really attend into Europe and consider China and the Far East and when all of this stuff happened, if you will. So um, other travel was really back to the Austin headquarters, the Silicon Labs. I spent quite a bit of time there. Okay. Uh, as you know, drinking from a fire hose, put in perspective, obviously I'm a Z-Wave guy, but I'm a Silicon Labs guy too. And at Silicon Labs, we do Bluetooth, Wi-Fi, Zigbee, uh, working on open thread, uh, proprietary, you name it. And so as much as I'm uh, really an advocate and spokesperson for Z-Wave, I can also speak to all the other product lines, if you will, and see how they all fit within uh, this thing called the smart homes, smart cities, IoT in general. So I spent a fair amount of time in, in Austin just learning about these things. Oh, that's an interesting perspective. I didn't realize mm. all that was part of it. Yeah, and one more too, which uh, you may have heard of, which is CHIP. We're calling it CHIP. Okay. But this was announced in December last year, which is Connected Home Over IP. And this is actually kind of a dream combination that no one ever thought could happen, where you had Amazon working with Google, working with Apple, working with the Zigbee Alliance to put together, uh, I'll call it an application layer, a communication capability. And it's not about the transit, how, how devices, sorry, how communication gets from point A to point B, but it's more about how they communicate, how they handshake, how they understand each other's uh, requests and demands. Okay. Uh, that's going to be a really big thing, really, really, really big thing that's going to impact uh, everything with respect to smart home and probably infiltrate to some extent the commercial side too. Okay. So just more, um, less of like separate languages that don't necessarily overlap. It's like trying to bring bridge them together somehow so you can have, right. um, explain a little bit more about the, the, the concept behind that. Okay, sure. Well, let's talk about the IP side. So it's connected home over IP. Right. The uh, IP, as we all know, that's what we call internet, network, whatever you want to call it. But it's, uh, you know, an internet protocol. It's a standard that everything understands in terms of getting from point A to point B. Mm -hmm. All right. So using IP will mean that devices will now have a natural method of sending and receiving information. Okay. But that's not enough. We have that with Wi-Fi. That's not enough. You need to have something above that so that there's a, uh, an understood communication between the two. As an example, I like to use email. You know, uh, we get, I get an email from you. Jeremy, send me an email. The IP part gets it to me. I, I, my system understands it and says, here, you got a message. The actual content of the message, I understand because you sent me in English. I get it. But I also get communications from China and it comes in in Chinese. Right. I still get, I still receive the message, but it's all in Chinese. I don't read Chinese, so I just ignore it. <laughs> so what Connected Home is talking about is making China and the U.S., again, just using this, the uh, analogy, sure. saying that whether you send me Chinese or you send me English, it's going to understand. I'm going to understand it. So it's coming up with a common language to go mm -hmm. over IP. Okay. Um, Right now, obviously, it's completely fragmented, and you know, dealers, of course, understand this. They deal with this all the time. Zigbee is not Zigbee. Is it, does it, this Zigbee talk to that Zigbee? Wi-Fi has no 
standard communication protocol. So just because so while you have a Wi-Fi thing doesn't mean it's going to work with other Wi-Fi things. Right. So you kind of understand the challenges there. Sure. But the goal of, of CHIP is to say you won't need a gateway, you won't need a translator, you just simply take your stuff out, you plug it in, and they just work with each other. Right. Uh, great, you know, <laughs> it's great to, to hope for that. In and theory, th- yeah. In theory, and, and, in, and in my opinion, many others, I, I really think this can happen this time around. So, and and what, what does this look like in terms of a time frame? How far out is this potential reality um, from a current? The claim is that the standard will be ready before the end of this year. Okay. Under the assumption that that will happen, that would mean manufactured would be, would be able to start developing products. And you would probably see products... Again, depending on the particular brand, you know, you may see products as soon as Q2 next year. Probably not, in my opinion, but you'll definitely see it sometime late next year. Okay. That's my thought. Now, now the IP, though, however, has some challenges. And then we talk about battery devices. As soon as you put IP on a battery device, you now add an extra load on it, which basically drains batteries. I mean, it's just, it's just too intense. So some of the details we have to work out is, okay, how are we going to handle battery devices that are not going to be an IP? How is that all going to work together? Um, it gets pretty gnarly in terms of the challenges engineering-wise, but at Silicon Labs, we can handle it. And that's, like I say, it's pretty cool to look into the future because I kind of see things coming up that are going to be, it's going to be very exciting for, uh, for the smart home industry. And what about Z-Wave in particular? Um, when you just talk about that portion of what you do, um, what mm-hmm. makes Z-Wave um, as, a, as a protocol special? So all this connected home over IP is terrific news. We still have Z-Wave on this side, um, which is really the sub-gigahertz. Generally, as you know, sub-gig works better in the home then when you're at the 2.4 or 5 gig you know, length, you can just think in terms of uh, like Wi-Fi. Mm-hmm. Wi-Fi in the home, we all know, unless we're adding additional devices to get Wi-Fi from one part of the house to the other part of the house, it doesn't work so well through building materials. Right. There are solutions around it by adding more gear, right? Mm-hmm. Subgig has, uh, again, just the physics on it, travels through building materials very well. And uh, of course, that's something Z-Wave has, the second thing we have is this backwards compatibility mandate. So as we continue to further the development and increase the features and the capabilities within Z-Wave, devices in the home will continue to work. You don't have to replace them. Again, another analogy. Uh, many of our customers will replace their smartphones every year, every two years. They're not going to want to replace the thermostat once it's right. in. They're not replacing the door lock. So having backwards compatibility is really important so you're not bricking you know, the products that are already in people's homes. We have that. We also have a mandate for interoperability, and we certify that. So that means if you want to buy and develop and commercialize a Z-Wave product, before we'll let you buy the chips, you've got to get your product certified so that it will basically comply with, with the technical certifications to ensure interoperability. That's not going to change with uh, with the advent of chip. As a matter of fact, you, you may recall right on the heels of the chip announcement, Silicon Labs made the announcement that we're going to spin off Z-Wave into an independent standards organization. That's right. I forgot about that, actually. Right. 
we're very, very far along. As a matter of fact, depending on when your your uh, listeners are watching this or listening to this, we may have already happened. I mean, I believe this will probably happen late Q2, early Q3 this year. Okay. Um, again, to really just greatly simplify, because Silicon Labs is the sole owner of Z-Wave, other organizations said, well, we're going to develop our own sub-gig standard. Hmm. whether that's Zigbee or Thread or Bluetooth or whomever, because the understanding is subgate simply works better in the home. Mm-hmm. Well, adding additional standards, we all know how much fun that would be for this <laughs> challenge of the home. Right. So by spinning it off to independent and welcoming other silicon companies to come in, develop their own solutions, and additional software companies to come in and do their solutions, what it will mean is, hopefully, it, it will become the kind of the go-to sub-gig standard. And uh, again, so we'd have backwards compatibility, we'd have interoperability, and we'll also have compatibility with chip. That's a mandate for us as well. That, that the whole chip thing will happen, our thing will happen, and they will basically be able to work together. That's our goal. Very good, good. Um, before we continue our conversation, I wanted to take a break and get a message from today's sponsor. Hey everybody, Charles Warner with Residential Tech Today. I'd like to talk to you about a very serious problem in major metropolitan cities, people stealing your mail. You hear about it all the time. What are you gonna do about it? You're gonna get a guard dog? Maybe, but I've got something even better. Ring, the major innovator of the company started by Jamie Simonoff, has got video doorbells. But what if I told you they had a camera that could go in your mailbox. That is how you can make sure nobody takes your mail. Because when grandma sends you a birthday card with $5 in it, you don't want somebody taking it. And wait, wait, we've got mail. The latest issue of Residential Tech Today. Here at Ring, at Cedia 2019. Make sure you check out Ring. Make sure you check out Residential Tech today and make sure that you protect grandma's birthday card. Mitchell, thanks again for joining us. Um, I wanted to continue our conversation about Z-Wave. And uh, yeah. when I when I see you at Cedia Expo, for instance, um, there are always a, a cluster of companies that are Z-Wave Alliance members that are in the booth. Um, how were those companies um, a representative of the entire alliance? I, I know that there's a lot more of those companies out there. So is it just a kind of a situation where those are the companies that happen to be at Cedia, exhibiting at Cedia that uh, come together? Or um, are those specifically selected just to represent the different um, capabilities of the Z-Wave protocol? How, how does that all work out? When you're That's a great at- question. Yeah, no, it's a really good question. Um, we reach out to our entire membership and let them know what we're doing. They know when we're having events, they know when we're exhibiting, uh, when we have our uh, uh, summits, things like that. And we invite them to participate. So the members that you see at Cedia or CES or uh, any other places that we exhibit in Europe or whatever, those are companies that said, yes, we want to participate. Ideally, we love representatives from all the different categories, you know, like door locks, thermostats, sensors, uh, lighting, so on and so forth. Um, But anyone who wants to participate can. It is a pay to play. Uh, 
obviously, because we're, we're trying to cover costs. I can definitely tell you we do not cover our costs. Mm. Um, but what the members get is a complete turnkey exhibit, meaning they tell us what they want, they design the graphics, and then we take care of everything else. Uh, so it's a really easy way for them to participate. And it's generally not just for small companies. Uh, you've probably seen companies like Jasco in our booth. Now, Jasco, you may not know the name, but you certainly know GE. They build all the GE smart home devices. They build all the Honeywell smart home devices. Um, so big companies will participate as well. And that's kind of how, how they, they participate. The other thing we do is you've probably seen our interoperability wall. Mm -hmm. So a company that doesn't really either it's not the market or they uh, would opt for an easier way to participate without sending staff, they can just simply send us devices and we put them up on interoperability wall. Okay. Okay. Well, um, looking back a little bit more on your career, um, your your last stop before your current role um, was uh, URC, correct? That's right. Mm -hmm. um, what experience did you gain um, out of that role as an executive at, at URC working with one of the more, I mean, the, the namesake <clears throat> of the industry's uh, remote control category? Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, universal remote control couldn't get it any better than not from a name standpoint. Um, but uh, what, what would you say was uh, what were some of the lessons you got out of working for a company that does the control side of the business like that? That's a, it's also a good question because remember, I came from an integrator side. Yeah. I did a couple of years of consulting, but I had never actually worked on the product development side of things. Uh, and when I, and when I got to URC, the mandate then was, okay, help us get from handheld remote controls and controlling your home theater into whole house audio. So I really got to experience the challenges in putting together specification, saying this is what we want, you know, um, working with engineering and communicating in engineering languages, <laughs> you know, uh, <laughs> and also, especially when you were working with foreign, in, our, in our, that case, we were with Korean, okay. uh, really smart, really good Korean engineering team. Um, realizing that sometimes the communication we ask them to do something may not have been as uh, specific as we wanted and they interpreted it their way. So this is also another really interesting experience. Um, I totally loved working with dealers. That to me, that was the best part. Okay. Um, I was fortunate to be able to put together, uh, many of you remember one of the first online training uh, programs, uh, you know, creating recording, editing, uh, you know, uh, online training sessions. Uh, so to me, the learning piece was going the opposite from saying, I'm a dealer, here are my expectations, to now making product and trying to listen to the expectations from the different dealers. It's right. a lot of fun, actually. A lot of fun. Yeah. And by the way, I was the one that brought URC into Z-Wave, and I'll never forget the meetings I would have, uh, the very first meeting I had with the executive team, I stood up in front of them, and this is when I first came on board, and I said, URC, we're going to own the network. And they all looked at me, and they went, what's a network? Oh, no. um, well, this is, again, it's hard Talk, to talks, Yeah, how much time has changed, right? How much right. Yeah, I mean, at that point, uh, internet, uh, you know, Wi-Fi was not a given at that point in time. Yeah. Yeah, it's, so, it's crazy how, how fast things have changed, really. And uh, um, I know uh, this is kind of like this is your life in reverse, but, uh, yeah. you know, from an integration standpoint, um, 
I mean, you you were always in a leadership role in the industry with Cedia um, from the early days of Cedia as a trade association, one of the first presidents. Um, you got really involved in the government uh, affairs, I think helped launch the government affairs committee, um, right. which has been Darren Riemann, really a great staff He's awesome. member at Cedia. Yep. He's keeping awesome. everybody, yeah. Um, talk a little bit about that that experience, why it happened. I know that there was some legislation there specifically in your market when you're an integrator that you had to deal with. So talk a little bit about that. Yeah, that's actually a great question. Um, when I had an installation company in Boston, Massachusetts, and we got wind and I'm trying to remember how, oh, I know how, I uh, was pretty friendly with a security company in the Boston area. And he just reached out one day and said, hey, we got to talk. And apparently what was happening was there was some legislation that was going to get voted on and buried somewhere in the, legi- in the uh, legislation, which is, by the way, how things work, was something about requiring licensing in order to pull any wires in any building or make terminations in any building of anything. And uh, from a security company perspective, that was pretty terrifying them, for them. And for us, I'm like, wait a minute. And I looked into it a little bit more and I realized that if this legislation passes, then every one of us in in Massachusetts no longer can do the work. We actually have to hire electricians to do it. And uh, I I was actually in a leadership position with CEDIA at the time. Uh, I wasn't yet president. I believe I was vice president at the time. And uh, we had a guy named Nick, and I can't remember his last name, before. Uh, Paisano's or something like Nick that? Nick Paisano, yeah, that's it, yeah. Paisano. And I reached out to him, and we said, let's check into this. And it turned out that this was a real thing. And that legislation had already been passed in Rhode Island. Hmm. So, again, you can imagine from there, we kind of rallied the troops. We got together. Uh, I reached out to as many integrators in the Massachusetts as I could get. We managed to arrange to do our present our case uh, at one of the hearings, which is incredibly uh, intimidating, by the way. Uh, if any of you have seen you know, the, uh, the interrogation that goes on at the national level, uh, I was just the state, and oh my God, it was intimidating, you know, mm. sitting at a table with all these people staring down at you. Uh, and Anyway, we managed, we managed to align, believe it or not, um, with the electrician union believe it or not. Wow. Because, it, yeah, it was actually the Verizon people who were really pushing for the legislation and oh, the unions okay. felt that this was bad for them. So talk about, you know, the enemy of my enemy is my friend. Right. Um, we actually ended up partnering with uh, with the unions, which is pretty interesting. And we managed to get that pulled out from that legislation. And of course, at that point in time, I said, hey, if it's happening in Massachusetts and already happened in Rhode Island, it's going to happen everywhere. Yeah. And so that's what kind of led to, uh, as president, I had the ability to say, this is what we're going to do. Mm-hmm. And that's what we did. We, we, started up in a, <clears throat> we started up an initiative to protect our members. Yeah, and that seemed to fly under the radar for so many CDM members that that was going on behind the scenes, that there were so many little battles, you know, being, being waged in terms of protecting the industry. Um, not that we don't want to have professionally trained and certified members, but it's a different level when you're talking about an electrician versus a low voltage contractor. Yeah. Um, it seems like a lot of that has either been um, fought back or it's just, we've moved on to other 
um, issues. Um, I know that Darren's still active in a lot of ways, but what, what do you know about that? It seems like a passion for you, even if though you're not directly uh, connected to it as an integrator anymore. What, what do you know about that, that ongoing kind of yeah. legislative challenge? Yeah, it's an unintended passion. <laughs> Trust me. <laughs> um, I did have the, uh, I'll call it the luxury because I thought it was really cool. I did have the luxury of testifying um, up on Capitol Hill and uh, not at the White House, you know, up at, um, I believe it was the, uh, wasn't, wasn't Senate anyway, House of Reps, I think it was, um, but having meetings in their offices in Washington. Uh, this stuff is not dead. Mm. This is never ending. If it fails once, they'll put it in as an attachment to another bill. There's always attachments. This is what they want to do. They're going to keep attaching it to legislation until it passes. Mm. So, you know, Darren has plenty of work to do. It's not going to stop. And what does frost me a bit is when we get potential members and members to go, you know, I'm not getting any benefit out of this. Right. I'm joining CEDIA. What do I get for my $500? Well, what you get is the ability to stay in business. Yeah. Never mind all the other benefits because there are plenty of them. But you get to stay in business. You don't have to shut, to shut it down or spend three years uh, working for another company, even though you have your own company, in order to get your license you know, right. as a journeyman or whatever. So this is never ending. And honestly, where I am right now with Silicon Labs, my eye is off that ball. So hopefully others are, are carrying it. Right, right. Well, um, you know, back as an integrator, you obviously uh, experienced one of the toughest situations with your um, your end of your integration career. And uh, I know a lot of people are struggling right now. There's, there's a, a lot of advantage, a lot of um, fortunate situations with being essential workers where folks are able to continue working, but then there are, there's always the comfort level of the client, you know, having someone in their home. Uh, there are different markets like New York where they're completely shut down. Folks trying to, to get the, uh, um, you know, government assistance at this point. Mm -hmm. But as people struggle, um, what are some of the lessons that you learned in terms of your battle uh, as a business owner? And ultimately, it didn't end as well as one would hope. But, uh, you know, banks are banks and situations like that happen. Um, What what are some of the experiences that you can share or advice or, you know, kind of school of hard knocks kind of lessons? The hardest thing to address is the emotional piece. Uh, when you look at what's going on and realize that, okay, I'm going to look at cash flow. You know, what are the things I can cut that I can stop doing, you know, to, to save cash? What are the things that just don't make sense anymore that I'll wait? Uh, then you look at efficiencies. What are the things we're doing that are inefficient? And as an integrator, often, you know, good cash flow hides a multitude of sins. And you've sure you've heard that before. Yeah. Well, when the cash flows kind of slowing down or stopping, those sins appear. And so the key is look for those sins now um, and avoid them. Like uh, things like inventory, old inventory that I like to call uh, um, digital produce. <laughs> things that, you know, when, when you brought it, it was great. It was cutting edge. But now it's a year later and now you can't even sell the stuff anymore. It's gone bad, if you will, yeah. getting rid of that stuff. Uh, but the hardest part has to do with your staff because um, for most integrators, that's the number one expense is your team, is your staff. And the 
big key I learned is to separate the emotions and look at the uh, look at the hard facts and say, look, you know, I, you have to cut back after you've looked at all your cash flow issues and things that that you're you can improve efficiency on. You may have to look at your staff, and then you know you put a lot of time and effort and money into getting your staff, into recruiting them, into training them, and the experience they get in the field and the relationships they have with your customers and with you and with each other. But at some point, you know, if you want the business to, to not just survive, but hopefully grow, get to the other side of this craziness that's going on, you may have to make some cuts. The term now is furlough. Yeah. Uh, I never had the luxury of this PPP where you could literally – uh, if you can, if you can get the loan, which is a whole other conversation, right. but if you can get the loan, it's a it's a hundred percent forgiven if you maintain your staff. Right. Um, I mean, if if there's any way you can get that, you should be all over it. You should have been applying for it and literally spending all your time on trying to get that loan because that's one way that we didn't have, but one way you can float your company for a couple more months. So these are the kinds of things I looked at. Are those some of the mistakes you did definitely made as a business owner um, in terms of holding on to folks too long and that sort of thing? Or did you even yeah, know you were in a situation yet? Well, yes, I definitely held on to people a bit longer. But what happened was uh, we expanded, which was good. And we had good customers. We opened up a business down in uh, West Palm Beach. And things were really going pretty well down there. And then these two planes hit the World Trade Center towers and they came down. And almost overnight, spending stopped. Right. Um, and projects we had stopped. And payments that were due stopped. I mean, it just, everything stopped. So it's really, it's never one thing. Right. It's a culmination of a bunch of things. And of course, banks at that point got nervous and started looking at loans that they can just pull back and mm-hmm. say, hey, I'm just, you know, uh, well, you know, you've got exposure to a bank and you're just a small company in Boston. They don't even want to talk to you. Right. Um, they just say, you know, give us our money back. And that was unfortunate. Well, in, in addition to PPP and, um, you know, the, uh, the, the opportunity to continue working through this situation, hopefully um, the pent up demand from clients when the, the levels of restrictions are, are loosened um, will help us bounce back a little bit better than a typical recession or national crisis type of situation like 9-11. But uh, yep. it, it, it's definitely something you got to keep your eyes on the on the ball there. Um, well, the thing is, you have a lot more options right now, meaning that, you know, there are different verticals, different market segments. Uh, the whole smart home concept is well understood. Back then, no one put smart and home together in the same sentence, you know. So you have a lot more options now. You can really look and make pivots that we couldn't make, you know, 15 years ago. Right. So there may be some good pivots in mind, and I've talked about those in the past. Oh, that's great. Yeah, good good point. And also, I'm hoping that uh, we'll see Cedia Expo in person in September. It's hard to say, you know, at this point with big group gatherings. I know they're still exploring it. They're probably going to have to make a decision here within the next um, 30 days, I would, I would imagine just because of travel plans, yep. but, uh, well, any thoughts just, on that? It's not just travel plans. That's the easy part. It's the money and time spent in your booth development and design. Oh, true. Um, so listen, you, you all know that I'm very passionate about Cedia, the organization and the people, the show, uh, in my opinion, should not happen. And okay. the reason I say that 
is because the vast majority of people who are going to attend, the integrators, of course, and the staffs, well, are they willing to get on an airplane? Are they willing to stay in a hotel room? Are they willing to go to a restaurant? Do they want to walk uh, into meeting rooms? I mean, so even if all that stuff is guaranteed, you're only talking a few months from now. Yeah. Um, in my opinion, that show should either be moved, perhaps into February if possible, that, that would be the better option, or you got to cancel it. And now every single show that we participated in or would attend has been canceled, 100% mm-hmm. of them. The only two remaining are ISC West, which we know is supposedly going to be held, and I, th- I think they moved it for a second time, and Cedia. But Light and Building, which is a bigger show than CES, is held in Frankfurt every other year. That got canceled. Okay. IFA, which is equally a large a show in, that's held in Berlin, right over Cedia, of course, that got canceled. Um, there are more, I mean, every show is getting canceled. And the reason is the safety of the exhibitors, of the workers, of the attendees, it's all at risk. Right. And it, by the time CD comes around, that's not going to change. That risk is still there. And there is a lot of people bravado going, oh, I'm going to go. I don't care. It's my freedom. It is your freedom, but it's also my freedom to not catch that, that uh, virus from you. So right. I'm not going to go. You want to go? Go ahead. But <laughs> it's not about you. It's about everyone else. Absolutely. And you have to think about it that way and say, I'm going to protect everyone else from me as much as I'm going to be protected from them. Right, right. Yeah, I, I I completely agree with you. Um, I, as much as I root for everything to get back to normal, it's just not going to happen right away. Um, we 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 need um, you know a lot more uh, health prevention and yep. situations with uh, um, the the research that's not even there yet. So I don't think we can get there that quickly. Yep. And it's just a it's a it's a fool's errand to go um, make ourselves at risk like that. So. Listen, if you can save one life by not having the show, it was worth it. Right. Absolutely. Well, I appreciate your your candidness as usual on that topic and uh, appreciate your time today, Mitchell. I, I always enjoy talking to you. And uh, one of these days, it'll be in person again. And when it's forward safe. to it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, and uh, thanks, everybody, for listening. Make sure to comment or share and subscribe to our podcast. And you can check out all the latest tech news at restechtoday.com. Thanks again and talk to you next time. Residential tech and art residential tech. Smart home or smart house.